because we have a smaller roster. We're really focused on grooming that client and getting that client ready for the next step. We're looking at the big picture. We're looking at, is this job going to be the right job for their career? From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, their a-diddle, spelled A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part one in the two-part Shooting for the Stars series. In this episode, we're going to experience a day in the life, hour by hour, of Sherry Kane, a talent manager at The Green Room, so you can decide if this is a career you can see yourself doing. From the hills of Hollywood to the concrete jungle in New York, Sherry works hard to get gigs for her clients in the entertainment industry. Let's get right into the day and see how she does it. It's 6.30 in the morning in Los Angeles, and Sherry is waking up and getting a head start on her New York work. Since New York is three hours ahead, there's always something to be done. Today on the agenda, Sherry's attending a team meeting, contacting casting directors, following up on casting pitches, visiting clients on set, meeting with potential clients, and submitting clients to roles. Let's meet Sherry and learn more about what she does. So my name is Sherry Kane. I am a talent manager at the Green Room Management. We have offices in New York and L.A. I actually am a bi-coastal manager. I go back and forth. And I represent actors, performers, um, singers, some YouTube stars in various areas, TV, film, theater. And uh, I basically work to get them their next jobs, their next bookings, and really help them throughout their career. My roster is comprised of, I would say, talent from ages 6 to 30. I have one, who, one talent who's a little older. Most of my talent comes from referrals. I do get submissions, and I go through each submission very carefully and determine if they would be a good fit for my roster. In essence, if I don't have too many people of that type, I kind of go by the Noah's Ark rule. I don't like more than two of a kind. (laughs) Um, Maybe three if somebody's working, you know, pretty consistently and I I need another person to fill that gap. And most of my roster is working. They are working on television shows. They are working on Broadway shows. They are working in film. I have the youngest Academy Award nominee ever 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 uh, on my roster, Quivenjanae Wallace, who you might recall from Beasts of the Southern Wild. And then she did Annie with Jamie Foxx and Cameron Diaz. So I have a little boy right now who is a series regular on the new Netflix hit series, The Haunting of Hill House. And and just, I have a little girl who's in School of Rock. So they're all over the place. Another role that's similar to, but different than Sherry's role is that of a talent agent. Let's put to bed the confusion between the two once and for all. I feel that most people don't know the difference between a manager and an agent. 
An agent has a larger roster, generally speaking, than a manager. They don't get the time. They don't have the time to get to know every client as well as a manager because their roster is so large. Whereas I would have two of a kind on my roster. They would have 20 of a kind on their oh, roster. Wow. So 10x. So, yeah. so, you know, agents are great, amazing in the business. They close up a deal. They are looking for the next job for a client, but they're not necessarily focusing on the career. The manager is focusing on the career. We look to cultivate, you know, um, opportunities for them. We look outside of the box sometimes because we have a smaller roster. We're really focused on grooming that client and getting that client ready for the next step. We're looking at the big picture. We're looking at, is this job going to be the right job for their career? How many um, people are on your roster? I have about 50 clients on my roster. They, it fluctuates and some clients are really only doing musical theater. Some clients are just YouTubers. Some clients are adults. Some clients are kids. So they're not all competing against each other or my time. It depends on what's going on at the moment. So now that it's 7 a.m. on the West Coast, Sherry cracks open her laptop because 10 a.m. Eastern time, same time, is when the breakdown is released. The breakdown is a list of roles casting directors are looking to fill for upcoming projects. They start releasing them and I start going through them and looking at each role that there is and thinking about who on my roster fits that role. And so I start submitting my clients for each of those roles in hopes that I will get them an audition. It will list the producers, the project, the producers, the date, the um, period of time that it's going to be filming or shooting. It will list the roles that they're looking for, the age, the um, ethnicity, things like that. All right. So you're sending it all through this system. Or do you send separate emails? Uh, I send you... I send separate emails too. You know, some managers I, and agents, I guess, might just submit, but I don't think it's enough to get their attention. So I like to do an email pitch. Usually that includes, you know, a little bit about the actor, what they've worked on. Um, it includes a headshot, generally speaking. It could include a resume. It could include just specifics about roles that they've worked on. It might include other information that makes this particular client good for this role, things like that. So I send an email pitch. Hopefully they get alerted. And then I also, you know, follow up on those pitches. Really, most of it is done through my inbox. I do use a a little secret tool that I like called um, Sidekick. And it basically lets me know when um, people are opening my emails. So I can um, basically tell if casting has gone through my pitches and think, hey, now's a good time to call them. Or I can see if they haven't opened my email pitch and maybe think to send it to somebody else. I mean, sounds like a sales job. It is. It it really is. is. I'm selling my clients. (laughs) Right. At this point, are you sending um, video of your clients? I am. Okay. And if my client hasn't done projects that have resulted in a reel yet, that's what we call the actor's works Mm -hmm. that are put together, a reel. Then oftentimes, if they've done a self-tape for me, sometimes casting can't call everyone in the room, or sometimes the actor is located in a place where they can't go in the room. Maybe they're in Austin, and they can't be seen in L.A. So oftentimes, 
they will ask for a self-tape and you send them the script to go over and they put themselves on tape. So when that happens, they I I keep all of those self-tapes. And if there's one that particularly stands out as a great acting clip or one that stands out as one that would be terrific for this particular project, I might send that along too so they can get an idea if they don't have a reel or in addition to a reel, if it makes sense. So Sherry gets the breakdown of the roles and she pitches all of the clients on her roster that she thinks fits what they're looking for. They do know from time to time there might be roles where they'll compete against someone else on Sherry's roster, but she does her best to keep the number of conflicts to a minimum. She's working on this from 7 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., so she's done in time for the 10 a.m. staff meeting. The object of it is to try not to have too many of one kind on your roster. And when they're looking for multi, you know, multiple ethnicities, it's it's not fair also that, you know, you can't have all different types of 11-year-old girls, you know, who would fit the breakdown. You, and you only have one 11-year-old girl for that role because there will be times that they're very specific. So you need to cover all different areas. When you do submit the role, that's behind the scenes and you don't relay that you submitted them for this role until they get it or get an answer back? It depends. The actor network is very big and aggressive in that they all talk to each other and they all know what's going on all the time. And there are websites where parents can look on board to see, you know, like this website, there's like a parents for child actors website where they can look on board to see what's going on. Generally speaking, when they've asked me about a role, they've already been submitted and pitched because I go through everything and look at my entire roster. So I'm often telling them, yes, I submitted and pitched you. I'll follow up or something like that. So it's um, 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern, and you have an office meeting. Yeah. So during this office meeting, whether I'm on the East Coast or the West Coast, if I'm on the East Coast, I will Skype in with the rest of my office. But we discuss what's going on weekly for all of our clients. We might be discussing what jobs they're working on, what callbacks they've had, what producer sessions they've had. We might discuss other things that we need to talk about. Like if I say, oh my gosh, I see this role and it's perfect for my client, but I don't really know this casting director. Can you put me in touch? Or if there's an agent I want them to sign with, because that's another thing we do. We place our clients with agents. You know, can you make the intro? So we all work together to to make sure that our clients are getting the best team together. So we, and the other thing is, is that, you know, any given time, if there's an urgent situation and I'm in a meeting, my clients can know that they can reach out to anyone else in my office and they'll have the information because we've discussed what's going on with each client during the meeting. Whenever anybody gets an audition or a callback, we send out an email to everybody in the office. So anyone can jump in and really help out, but it really doesn't happen that often because I do make myself very available to my clients. It's now 11 a.m. on the West Coast and Sherry begins making phone calls. She's calling casting directors, potential clients, and she could be calling agents for her clients as well. Anyone she needs to speak to to get her clients the best gigs possible, she's calling. A typical conversation with a casting director can go a little something like this. 
hey, I just pitched this kid. He'd be great. He sings. He dances. I know you're looking for a singer. He's the next big thing. You should really check him out. I'll send, you know, uh, I'll resend you the email if you want me to. Please, you know, I think you'd be missing out if you didn't call him in for the audition. Do they pick up the phone most of the time? Or yeah, they it- always pick up the phone, but they, you know, sometimes they're busy and they can't necessarily talk. They they say they'll make a note of it. That's why I believe in the email pitch over the phone call pitch first, because then they could look at it at their leisure and then decide if they want to call the person in. So I will call casting. I will call agents if I have a client that I want them to see, you know, Somebody who maybe is on a TV show, just got a role on a TV show and has only had a manager to this point, and I think they're ready to add an agent to their team. Sometimes I'll call in, or somebody who's got a theatrical agent but doesn't have a commercial agent, so I can reach out to commercial agents to see if they'll see my clients, things like that. I also might make phone calls to companies if I have a social media client. So I, you know, I have to do a little bit of research on that end often, you know, find out what brands the client feels good about, find out whether it's a fit with these, the company that, you know, I'm pitching for, because it really has to fit into both of the lifestyle, you know, the lifestyle. I want to talk a little more about those social media pitches. How important is followers on social media, like for clients on getting gigs? And like, how do you feel about that metric? I think it's imp- it depends on what you are looking for in- out of the industry. I mean, some people want to be stars, and that's all they care about. The actors who are really concerned about the process more, they shouldn't concern themselves with that because they're going to book their roles based on their talent. I still believe that. And honestly, if you book something with a big studio, the followers will come. You know, yeah. they'll, they'll start following you. One thing I can say is that whatever numbers you get, it should be organic. It needs to be people who are going to be engaged by the content, not somebody who's going to just follow because they got paid to. And then, you know, and I think that the companies can see that. So then on these phone calls, you're also speaking to potential clients. What are those conversations like? Well, you know, some of those calls are funny. Sometimes people will just be like, I want you to hire me. And I'm like, I don't hire people. You know, <laughs> Some people really don't know what they're doing when they're looking, getting started in the industry. Can you just give an example of what a successful call would be like and what a not so successful call be like? Is there any like examples that like really stick out in your mind that you were like, what was this person thinking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's the people who call up and say, my daughter's a performer. We want we want you to hire us or we want to work with you. And I ask, so what has your daughter done? Well, she really hasn't done anything. She just likes to perform. She's always performing in my house. And that shows me that they really haven't done much homework or, or gotten her in those first steps, with whether it be, you know, take a dance class, go to be involved in a community theater or even a kid's program, take an acting class, you know, those kinds of things. At least I know that you're working on something towards something, you know, but somebody who just says, my daughter's so cute, you need to see her. That doesn't tell me anything about your daughter or what they're capable of. So there are definitely, you know, and then a good call would be, I'm looking to get, you know, a a new manager. I've worked on this. I've worked on that. I'm creating my own content. 
I'm making my own opportunities, but I need somebody else there as part of the team. And they'll send me materials that they have or even that they've done on their own. You know, um, you have to be a self-advocate. If you're not passionate about what you do, how can I be passionate? And that's the bottom line. I mean, if there's no effort or passion, then I can't keep you or have you on my roster. Yeah, you're looking for initiative. Yeah, I mean, and, and on, unfortunately, I have to let people go from time to time because I saw something out there, and it's a, a tough business. So people, they can fizzle out, and they could decide that they're really not, you know, into it as much and really put in a ha- half-hearted effort. So then at some point we have a conversation. I say, what's going on? Do you want to do this? It doesn't sound that way. Maybe you need a break. And we have to have that conversation. Those are the hard talks. So, And the hardest part for me is turning someone away or letting somebody go. Because I really, you know, I just care about the actor and the client. And I really want them to do well. But if you're not working hard at it, then I can't do my job well. And it doesn't look reflect good on me or anyone else on my roster if I send casting an actor who's not prepared. What would the next steps be um, if the call goes well? The next steps would be we either set up a meeting or a Skype meeting, depending on where I am and where they are and how soon I need to have them right. <laughs> as part of my team. <laughs> In this 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. time frame, Sherry's pitching all of her clients that fit the casting director's role requirements from the breakdown. We learned she does this because she needs as many chances as possible to get clients on her roster booked because when they get booked, they get paid. And when they get paid, she gets paid. Let's learn how Sherry makes a living in this line of work. If my clients aren't working, then I'm not getting paid. So... I am entitled to, a manager isn't governed the same way an agency is governed. They have specific rules they have to follow. An agency generally takes a 10% commission. With a manager, they can take anywhere from 10 to 25%. And if you end up needing an attorney on board, which you do for big deals, like most series regular roles are like seven-year contracts. Like you have to get bounced, you get bounced up in your your earnings every year, things like that, where you need to really look at the contract specifics and you bring on an attorney and an attorney generally takes 5%. So by the time all is said and done, it could end up costing a lot of money. For that reason, I am generally, uh, I keep my rates low at 10% um, because if they have an agent on board or an attorney on board, I'm not doing the negotiating, either the agent is or the attorney is. Um, if, so out of that 10%, if you do have to take on the attorney, do they take the 5% away from your 10%? No, or that's is an it then a total? It's an additional. That's an additional. Oh, okay. But I, if there is no attorney on board and there is no agent on board, I take a 15% commission because I'm negotiating the contract. If anybody ever tells you you need to pay this much money to come with a manager, run. Or an agent. Yeah. You, you should never have to pay any money. You shouldn't have to go to any of their photographers. If you're getting charged in any way, run. It's not the way the business is supposed to work. I'm only taking commission on what From is brought the deals in. That and that, that speaks to why it's so important for you to qualify the people you bring onto your roster because you're getting paid directly from their what they produce and what their results are. So that, that makes true. a lot of sense. It's now 1 p.m. and Sherry is having lunch. 
On this particular day, she met with an entertainment attorney to discuss details about a client's contract for a big role. Even though she has a law background, which you'll learn about in part two of this series, entertainment law is still different from criminal law. It gets very complicated, so I'll often refer them to a big entertainment attorney who's used to handling these kind of deals and knows how to redline quickly and all of that kind of stuff and can get the best deals possible and make counteroffers. And they know exactly when to push because you should always make a counteroffer, but sometimes you can make a counteroffer and... If they've told you we're stopping here, they'll stop there and they'll go to the next person, their next choice. So you, an attorney in, in the entertainment business often knows where they can push with who because they've done it so many times. So we'll sit and we'll discuss um, that kind of stuff. And I like to meet attorneys because there are times that, you know, they're called for. I mean, little deals I can handle or the agent can handle. But oftentimes when we're talking a big deal for many, many years where your client is being tied up, I have a client who just tested this week for a new pilot, you know, a series. So that client, you know, needed an attorney to go through everything, you know, A, because it's a series regular deal that will, you know, involves multiple years, multiple components, um, relocating, things like that, um, you know, and a new platform, quite frankly. Would you say you're having lunch with, is it a business related lunch every day? I wouldn't say it's every day. Okay. No, I work through lunch a lot, actually. <laughs> okay, yeah, that but, was going to be the next question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I often find I'm eating lunch at my desk while I'm working on stuff. Um, it's a job that really doesn't quit. You can always be working on something. And again, if my clients are get, aren't getting the appointments, then I'm not getting paid. So I need to make sure I'm getting the appointments. It's now 2 p.m. and she's visiting a client on set. My mission is just to be there for my clients, basically, and show them I care and that I'm passionate about that what I do. There are sometimes perks. You get to meet certain people on set. You know, maybe they remember you and you can reach out again at another time. There are some times that there have been actors on set who have reached out to me after I've, I've met them on set. You know, so there's different reasons why I go to set, but the ultimate reason is really that I'm doing being there for my clients, supporting them. Now it's 3 p.m. and she's meeting with a potential client. She talked about how she usually runs these meetings a little earlier in this episode, but now let's get specific. I usually try to put a kid at ease and ask them general questions first, like, so tell me what's your favorite thing to do? What grade are you in? Who's your favorite teacher? What's your favorite subject? To put them a little more at ease. And then I move on from there and I talk about if you could be on any TV show or, you know, so I kind of get an idea of what they really like or if you like comedy better or drama better, that kind of stuff. So that I get those questions out of the kid and then I bring in the parent. So I, I often ask the parent what they want to want from a relationship with a manager, what they're expecting to see whether we're in sync. I have at times met with somebody and I didn't like a vibe. Or... So what are those no conversations like? It, I mean, you're going to hurt feelings sometimes. It, how, how do you go about managing it's that? It's generally very business-like. Oftentimes, I will let them know that you're not a good fit for my roster right now. Please feel free to reach out in the future. It's usually an email because I do tell the clients at the the potential client at the end of the meeting that I'll be sending them a follow-up email. So, I mean, it, sometimes it's just... 
it doesn't feel right. And I don't want to take on anyone I'm not passionate about. And it's not fair to them either. They should have a rep who's passionate about them, you know? And, and that's true when I have to let people go too. I mean, if I'm not passionate about you anymore, it's not fair to keep you on my roster. They call it hip pocketing. When you keep somebody on your roster just to keep them on, but you're not really sending them out at all. Well, I don't do that. Yeah. I mean, these are people. And there's and people who careers. do do that. There, there, there are companies common... that do that. They will hi- they will put somebody on their roster because they don't want somebody else to get them, but they really have somebody who they feel is stronger on their roster. So, oh, jeez, cutthroat. Ooh, it's a tough industry. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. yeah, yeah. At six p.m. she has dinner, and at seven p.m. she's off to a showcase. These showcases are usually thrown on by an acting school or a university or by actors themselves to show off their chops. And I've actually found some clients that way as well. You know, if I like one client I thought was terrific, I didn't expect to find I called her up and then next week she was on set for a project. Oh, very cool. Um, so, so when you attend these showcases, you had just said that you generally go in with an open mind, but do you ever do your research beforehand on like whoever's going and then like kind of approach them and and well, it depends on, depends on who the um, acting school is. Um, sometimes they will send us information about, like, they'll send us, like, little headshots of everybody who's going to be there, you know, and if I see somebody who looks like they might be a fit for my roster, maybe I'll go to see what that person can bring. Um, but sometimes there's really not that much information, but I'll go to, like, it's a University of Michigan showcase, you know, it's their senior showcase, and they've got all of their best top talent in musical theater coming, and I want to go see what they can do. And you also mentioned that you might be going on some days to a premiere. How are you helping your client on the red carpet? It depends. Um, sometimes can they you talk have... about a specific time. Yeah, um, I was at Sharp Objects, HBO's Sharp Objects. I have a client who was in that. So she didn't have a publicist. Um, she had a smaller role, but you know she was still invited to attend and be on the carpet. And I, I assisted her by helping her with the paparazzi. I literally make cut out a piece of paper with her name and her role on it. And I hold it up before she walks the carpet and all the photographers take a snapshot of it so they know who it is. So when they refer back to their pictures, oh. they can know who that that girl is that they took a shot of. I help her if there's any interview questions that need to be asked, I'll bring her over there. To what, what are them. the what are those coaches like coaching like for? Oh, I, you know what? I don't really do much coaching as far as interview process, you know, the interviews on the carpet. But I do tell them like one thing that kids specifically and people, anyone who's um, going on the carpet will do is that they'll try to hard to answer the questions. And I think you just need to be yourself and answer the questions because then it comes out natural and authentic and not like you're trying too hard and and it comes out more humble that way you know just I tell them it's like you're having a conversation with me sitting at the table and and I, I might do a couple of questions back and forth and I say see that's what you need to do right but you know that's that's the process on the carpet usually so you just experienced a day in the life of a talent manager but how does one actually become a talent manager In part two of the Shoot for the Stars series, join us as we go through Sherry's career journey and experiences leading up to where she is today. From the courtroom to the red carpet, stay tuned. 
At Experience a Day in the Life, we're building an online library of content all focused on a diddle or a day in the life of different jobs and professions across the world in all different industries. So if you want to share your a diddle, you can do so at xadiddle.com slash share dash my dash a diddle. That's x-a-d-i-t-l dot com slash share dash my dash a-d-i-t-l. Thanks for listening. Head over to exadiddle.com. That's X-A-D-I-T-L.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at Xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bow and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.